what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. With me across the table is Chris Fry. We are the co-founders and co-directors of the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival. Chris, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well. Uh, we're going through the time that I like to call before March 4th, before before the Batman, I guess, BTB, <laughs> before the Batman. Before the Batman, right. and then they'll be a- after, after the After the Batman. Oscar nominations, so A-T-O-M, yeah. after mm-hmm. the Oscar nominations are in, and then BTB, before the Batman. So sure. what what movies are we going to review today? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's a good, good lead-in, because we will be reviewing two films, but there are two films that are uh, premiering online as streaming f- films, not taking up any space in the theaters right now. So we will be discussing two films that are streaming ones. You're right. Uh, everything I'm reading, Chris, is that all the uh, big releases are kind of clearing the way for the Batman. I think everything's pushing back. We're even several weeks after that film releases. There's not really going to be a lot coming to the theater. So we're going to shift our attention for now to online streaming films. And we have two of them to be reviewing today during our show. We'll be reviewing the latest from Steven Soderbergh, the action thriller Kimmy starring uh, Zoe Kravitz. Then we'll also be talking about the film The Sky is Everywhere, based on a book by Johnny Nelson and directed by Josephine Decker. We'll be reviewing that film that is streaming exclusively on Apple TV. Should mention Kimmy is on HBO Max. So we'll be reviewing those two films here in the episode. Following those reviews, we'll be doing a little bit of news, talking about some uh, latest trailers being released for some films that are going to be on the horizon. Um, Chris, you may have a quick review of a, of a recent box office uh, uh, winner this past weekend, uh, Uncharted. Is that yes. right? You're going to give me a quick review of that? I have not seen it. Yeah, so. I'll, I'll give it a shot, give it a run. Great. We'll do that in the news section a little bit later. And then um, then we're going to be looking at a couple of uh, recommendations at the end of the episode. Chris and I both give a recommendation of a film we think it's worth checking out uh, if you have the time and are looking for something to watch. Um So that's what we have on tap. Are we ready to get started, Chris? Let's do it. Let's go into our first review, which is the Steven Soderbergh film, Kimmy. Kimmy? I'm here. What time is it? It's 7.26 a.m. Kimmy? I'm here. Call Dr. Burns. I got her. What do you want from me? Kimmy? I'm here. Why don't you run from me? Call Darius. Steven Soderbergh, most people would recognize that director from films like the Ocean's Eleven, 12, 13 films that he made. Um, Most recently, right before Kimmy, I think last year, as a matter of fact, in 2020, during the pandemic, he did release No Sudden Move. Um, And that also went straight to HBO Max. And that was kind of a noir crime thriller, had Don Cheadle in it. Yes. And it was good, but, you know, didn't grab a lot of people's attention. But, you know, I guess maybe because it went right to streaming. Um, We have actually, which in the setup for the show, Alan and I were talking, we've never actually reviewed a Steven Soderbergh film, which I didn't realize. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) the time has come. Um, you mentioned Zoe Kravitz, who will be in The Batman as Catwoman. Ah, yes, it's all <laughs> so, tying together. Right. And in this, she doesn't play a woman dressed in like tight-fitting outfits walking around as a crook. Instead, she is an agoraphobic, meaning she doesn't like to go outside, Seattle tech worker. And while she's working, she basically analyzes data that comes in from a kind of like a Siri type or Siri adjacent or Alexa adjacent type device that is called Kimmy. And she uncovers evidence of a crime. Mm-hmm. 
Alan, what was your experience with your first Soderbergh film? I think since those early ones, kind of the out of sight era and the yeah. Ocean's Eleven films, what was your experience with your first Soderbergh film in a little while? Yeah, it, it, and I like Soderbergh's films. I have not just haven't caught up. I mean, he puts out a lot of films. He, he does. He's very prolific with his films, and I just have not seen any that he's released in the last several years. Gotcha. But um, I was looking forward to seeing this, um, a, a, because, I mean, it's a thriller, which I think he does thrillers really well. I'm mm-hmm. thinking of uh, what's the one, uh, the one with um, George Clooney uh, and uh, – um, not out of sight. Yeah, out, oh, of, out sight. of sight. Okay. Yeah, George out of Clinton. sight. Yeah. Enjoy that. It's got a little thriller elements to it. Some of that. Um, so I'm looking forward to Kimmy. I think Zoe Kravitz is a is a great actress. I'm really kind of excited to see her working in some different projects. So it's excited to see this. Um, and I got to say, overall, I really enjoyed this film. I, uh, okay. you know, somebody asked me the other day when I told him I was going to be watching this, and it kind of what it is. And, and this comes off the tongue as like a way to describe it, which is so cliche to say. It's it's a uh, rear window meets Brian De Palma's blow up, you know, it's or blowout. It's blowout. kind of the same idea of it's monitoring of other people, finding out about a crime, kind of you know, using technology to try to figure out more about what that crime is. It's very much in that vein, and uh, I like the fact that it's a it's a it's a tight movie. It's an hour and a half. It doesn't really waste any time. It kind of gets right into character development and story and. I don't really feel like it skimped a lot on, uh, to make it a shorter film. I generally was intrigued with it. I think I, I had fun with it. I think it was shot extremely well. Um, looks really good. There were some nice creative choices made both in the sound department of the film um, because sound is a critical piece of a lot of the film. So sound has to be a critical element. And um, the music, uh, there's several things I can go on good. I do have a few few things I'll get to later on that maybe not so good. <laughs> okay. But overall, I'm going to say, I, I do think this was a really fun thriller. Doesn't strive to do a whole lot more than just to be a straightforward, simple thriller. Mm-hmm. And I think it accomplishes that. And I had a really good time with it. Chris, what's your thoughts on it? Yeah, I, I, I was genuinely entertained as mm-hmm. well by the film. Uh, Steven Soderbergh, I always expect his movies to look good and have a lot of interesting camera movement and different just types of cinematography in it. You know, he is the one that most recently he kind of was one of the first people to start shifting to using an iPhone. Mm-hmm. So some of his previous movies, high flying birds, unsane, those movies used an iPhone. And so now I don't know if this one used an iPhone I or not. I don't believe so. This, uh, no, this. but it's still, it was still able to capture a lot of really interesting ways of shooting, shooting the film. There's some, mm-hmm. when, um, the character finally leaves because she is agoraphobic. Doesn't like to go outside, but at what kind of she has to eventually. And when she does, they use some tilting angles yeah. to kind of represent her just not feeling steady a out in the real world. Yeah. And it's a completely different shooting style than what we were used to in her secure apartment and comfortable. And I think it it definitely did throw you kind of in a, into her world a little bit more the way he shot that. Yeah. And I I'm not that familiar with Zoe Kravitz. Um, Obviously, with the last name Kravitz, um, I knew she was Lenny Kravitz's daughter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but other than that, I I didn't really know a lot. And after I watched this movie, I was like, oh, you know, she's, she's really good. And then it hit me, wait a second, kind of like I mentioned in the intro, oh, she's going to be in Batman. And mm-hmm. I totally can see her, you know, shifting her persona and doing that. So I'm, I'm interested to see what she does with the character of Catwoman, because I feel like she's totally going to be up to the challenge. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um the film too, it's interesting to me because a lot of times Soderbergh's films, they can be kind of messagey, no. <laughs> um, which I didn't think this one like dove too deep into that. There's actually some scenes where she's going by a protest, which I didn't even, it didn't even register to me. I had to read like, okay, mm-hmm. she's supposed to be in Seattle. This was a protest that was supposed to be going on during the pandemic mm-hmm. about like homelessness or something. But for that to be so backgrounded. Yeah. I was actually kind of impressed. I was like, wow, he usually foregrounds that stuff a lot more. So I was kind of impressed that he kept it as subtle as he did. I, I echo that completely. I had that in my notes too, that I, there were so many moments in the film where it could have gone into much deeper messaging and uh, commentary on what was going on in the world. And it didn't, it just basically said, yes, there was a pandemic. <laughs> yes. You see people wearing masks when they're outside 
yes, there's a protest going on at one point that she tries to duck into to kind of get away from some people. And, but it's all treated as just kind of incidental background, you know, not, not, Hey, pay attention to this. This is important messaging we're sharing, which I, I liked. I mean, again, it was just letting it be an entertaining thriller and not trying to do more with it than it needed to. So you mentioned, um, one thing you didn't quite touch on, but I'll mention that in a second, something I liked talking about commentating on stuff, but you mentioned the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now that we're in 2022, um, the filmmakers have had time to think about how they want to address that, address that thing that happened, you know, in history or whether they just don't. Yeah. And I'm already, I mean, I know we're only in 2022, 20, 20, excuse me, but, um, I'm kind of getting a little leery of things that address the pandemic just because, you know, not that I want to forget about it, but I'm kind of ready to move on and focus yeah. on something else just because it's such a weighty subject. And I thought this did a good idea or a good job of, like you mentioned, kind of kind of like with the protest thing, talking about the pandemic, but, and you see that she's trapped in her house, but she's agoraphobic, but she's even more so because of the pandemic and it kind of addresses that but it doesn't weigh too heavily down on the film. I mean, in in a way the film actually is kind of even saying, Hey, kind of need to let's move on. Right. Because even she's has a relationship with a gentleman in the film and he's frustrated because she won't leave the house. And you know, it's like, Hey, come on, let's go. It's time to move on type of thing. So I even think the film is even kind of saying it needed to push. It, it was time for her to get, get out there again. And, right. uh, so, I mean, in a way, if you want to look at it, it's actually a little bit of an anti hmm. anti dwelling on the pandemic as much and trying to encourage people to get out, which right or wrong. That's, and you still saw people, she like hand sanitizes oh, and sure. wearing yeah, masks yeah. and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, that's true. So it was just kind of an interesting way to handle it. I, I appreciated this more because it was more natural. I just felt like, yeah, this is where we are. And it's not trying to preach or make any profound message out of it. Just this is where we are. And this is how people are acting nowadays. Um, I was, so I mentioned, you know, pandemic, and then there was something else that going into the film and when the crimes uncovered and kind of, you know, the film is called Kimmy, I was expecting it would be completely negative on technology. Mm. Um, Kind of like blaming technology for things and saying like, Oh, we're too connected. We're too, you know, but in a way I feel like, there again, I'm kind of impressed with how non heavy handed it is. It kind of says, this is the world we live in. Yeah. This is something that we have, but it doesn't necessarily slam it because things end up, it was good well, that the technology I was, was say, there. The technology <laughs> so, actually is kind of the hero not, without giving away sure. too much. I mean, the technology does play a very heroic role in the film sure. and it's more of it's painting corporation as True. bad as opposed to the technology itself. Um, I, I, let me, can I go and get the negatives out of the way? Yeah, because sure, I'd rather sure. end with the positives. Oh, There's absolutely. a lot of positives. On sure, this. sure. The, the one thing about this film that I, I wish it hadn't gone into mm, okay. is quote, the bad guys. Um, mm. I thought were very heavy handed, kind of very stereotypical over the top when the rest of the film's not, when that mm. was kind of a little bit of a shame is like when the quote, bad guys show up, they're all dressed in black. They look very obviously like bad guys from a distance. Gotcha. They don't seem to have any qualms about acting like bad guys in broad daylight, broad daylight in the midst of public. I didn't buy any of that. I just thought that the bad guys were like cartoonish and Hmm. it just didn't fit the rest of the film. It was a little disappointing for me. Okay. I will say they made some interesting choices with some of the bad guys dialogue and some of the scenes towards the very end of the film, which I, I liked they kind of played with that notion of them being the bad guys a, a bit, but it was just, there was a, there was a sequence where she is Kim or not Kimmy, but um, Angela yes. the, played by Zoe Kravitz is in a office building and things are starting to get more tense. And she realizes that she might have some, be in some trouble. And the fact that she looks down the hall and there are two gentlemen, <laughs> one super tall, yeah. one's like short and stocky, and they're both wearing black top to bottom, and they're both like menacingly. It's like walking a scene out of the Matrix or yeah, something. Yeah, it was right. like okay, I I just don't think that I buy that. Um, I got you. So the bad guys, the villains, were a little too villainy, and uh, <laughs> that was a little disappointing for me. Okay, that's really my only bad takeaway, bad, bad issue with the film is I, I felt like they could have handled that more subtly and it would have been a lot more effective and, and interesting. So did you have any 
problems with the film, anything? That- no, I, it took me a little bit by surprise. You, you talk about the villains and the film opens with the corporation's <laughs> owner kind of talking about the stock going public and everything. Um, and it took me a little bit of ba- back mm-hmm. because the guy who's doing it is <laughs> Derek Delgadio, which we, I think, recommended as a recommendation a while back. One of his, he's like a magician, performance artist guy. Yeah. And we recommended uh, in, uh, in, of it, in, in and in, of itself. In and of itself. And that, you know, which we still recommend. But it was weird for me to see him as an yeah, actor. Yeah, the same way. And it was just that kind of like, well, like what? And I think it's he interesting. He wasn't the best actor. <laughs> I mean, I mean just, it just, again, he kind of fell in that same sure. villain camp right. where it's just, it was kind of on the nose, the dialogue, the acting. It was... Well, and it was kind of weird to me too because, you know, we say this is a thriller, which which it is, and it's kind of like an action type thing, but there's never any question about kind of who's bad because no. the way it's set up from the very beginning with him, you're like, okay, you know, this, yeah, this no, guy, something's wrong. So that was interesting. They didn't try to hide it really. No, it's, it's mapped out for you pretty easily. I think so. Uh, not a lot of questions about, you know, who's, who's right, who's wrong in this whole situation. Yeah. I don't think he was the best character. For, again, all the scenes, him talking with the other people he's associated with, mm-hmm. it just, it, it pulled me out of the movie because I felt like, Kimmy, I, I will say Zoe Kravitz, very good. Yeah. I thought her performance very just natural. I really believed her character. I liked who, her character in general. And when it flipped to the other, the corporate guys, I'm just <laughs> like, oh, I just, I don't, I don't believe people are talking like this in real life. I do not feel like that they are meeting on the bridge and exchanging things, you know, broad. Day. I, I just, I it was you. just all very stereotypical. Way, way too, too, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Caricatures. Sure. Yeah. I can I can see that. But anyway, and, and unfortunately Derek DeGardio as one of the corporate guys kind of fell in that camp for me as well. So but, I think um, if I had to slate negatives, that would probably yeah. be it. Um I will say, um, and they <laughs> I enjoyed the performance. It was cool to see her on screen because I haven't really seen her on screen in a while. Uh Rita Wilson, who plays yeah. kind of like a HR person mm-hmm. at this corporation that she has to go, she has to leave her apartment to go in and talk to this yeah. woman about what she's she heard. Yeah. And I, I enjoyed seeing her because there again, she is kind of leaning into the persona yeah. of the role that she's given, but I, I really liked seeing her. I thought no, no, she did she an awesome good. job. I thought she was really good. <laughs> I, falling in that corporate vein. She, she was the one the part of it that I, I liked and I thought was good. Even the, the office building she has to go into mm. is just, <laughs> Come on. It was just so over the top villains layer, mm. you know, walking in with all the security measures and all the high tech gadgetry she has to go through to get in. It was, it was a bit much. So I'm, I think that was <laughs> that whole, that whole side of it was very heavy handed, but fair enough. Everything else for me worked in the film. Um, I'll say on the positive side, uh, again, I already mentioned very well shot. I mm-hmm. think the pacing was great. I, I, I looked at the clock just to kind of, I was curious because I knew it was a fairly short film, like compared to what we're normally used to. And it was at the 15 minute mark. And I'm like, wow, we've gotten a lot of great character development and scene setting and all that just in the first 10 to 15 minutes. Like I know gotcha. this character, I know her situation. I know what seems to be going on with her all within 10 to 15 minutes. And I'm, I was happy about that. Um, and, uh, and the use of audio, Again, the way edit audio was edited, her job is to listen to right. things on a computer, listening to these audio streams collected by these devices and try to identify where there's opportunities to improve the software and the system. So, you know, when she puts on the headphones, the noise canceling headphones, everything goes quiet and you just hear what she's hearing. And then if she's distracted by an outside noise, you're also distracted by that outside noise. And it's just... It was very immersive, which I liked. I liked the way that sound was used in general. Um, and the music. Um, mm-hmm. It was very Hitchcockian, very kind of throwback uh, classical uh, orchestration, which I liked because it also inter- juxtaposed with some more uh, modern music and a louder, more intense music at certain key moments. It just... It played off each other nicely. So I, I liked all of that. All those elements I thought were good. Do you have some other other things that worked for you on the film? No, just kind of keying off of something you mentioned. Um, the positives, I think, are along the same lines. Um, but I, <laughs> I I have to admit, I guess it's kind of he knows his target market. He can kind of guess the age of people that are watching this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the needle drop of Beastie Boys sabotage. Like, you know, I already liked the film, but that kind of gave me an yeah. extra, it's towards the latter half of the film. And that kind of gave me a little extra boost to be like, yeah, okay, you're you, winking at you me, me, but hey, I, I like it. You, yeah. you it worked. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there was that. And, uh, uh, the song connection by Elastica playing mm -hmm. in the end. It's like, yep. Okay. <laughs> yep. You know how old I am. You know what music <laughs> I grew up, I enjoyed growing up with. So great. Um, I will say, I mean, if you really wanted to pick it apart, the ending, the last final sequence, um, was it a little, a, a little choreographed? Yeah, sure. But was it fun? Yeah, it was fun. I enjoyed the ending of this film, like the last little, I get quote action sequence. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the role that Kimmy, the, the voice activated assistant played was fun. I thought it all worked for me. I mean, if you think too hard about it, yeah, maybe it doesn't <laughs> quite hold up, but I right. don't care. I had a good time with it. So, uh, it was a fun thriller that did not try to do any more than it needed to do just to play a fun thriller with a, a I think an interesting lead character. And, um, yeah, I thought yeah, I thought it worked there. So I, I do have to mention just a couple of quick notes. Um, uh, there was something else I was going to mention. Oh, uh, I will say the last. <laughs> I think it's the last line of dialogue in the film hmm. at the door of Kimmy's apartment of uh, of Angela's apartment. Okay, greeting her friend when she's on the phone describing what just happened and his reaction. Oh. I bust out. I laughed out loud. It just, it was just well done. Well-timed. It was just <laughs> a great little ending to the film. Right. Um, and then I don't know why the, the character Yuri, which you know, we don't spend a lot of time with, but Yuri is basically he's sitting like the hacker dude. Yeah. He's like a hacker sitting in a, in a really cool desk setup, <laughs> cool computer screens and all that. Right. But I love the fact that you're seeing him, that he's, super evil looking hacker guy. And he's got these awesome desks set up and screens. <laughs> but then as you pan around the room, you see he's in a really junky little apartment. I guess his mother is sitting in the back <laughs> of the room knitting the whole time. It's just, it was funny. That sure. was like a nice little, nice little setup uh, for that character. So uh, overall I had a good time with this film. Thought it was a lot of fun. And uh, I think it's well worth a watch. I, I think it's a good, broad audience kind of uh, film that I think can, uh, if enough people knew about it, I think would really kind of get a kick out of it. So, yeah, I agree. And I'm interested to see what Soderbergh does next. You know, basically his last, this film and the one before went straight to HBO max, weren't released in theaters. I think he's obviously a talent and it'll be interesting to see if his next film has a theatrical release and then goes to HBO or is he just going to be kind of like a HBO max Studio director. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think part of it is because he is so prolific. He just puts out so many films. I just wonder if it's the films he puts out just don't get a lot of traction because it's almost like, you know, well, here's just another one. And it's right. just kind of thrown out at you instead of built up to be any kind of big, big film event. And because, uh, again, I mean, I like Soderbergh a lot, but the last I had to really sit down and look and see what were the last four or five films he put out. Cause there's just been a lot of them and yeah, he uh, may, he does release about a film a year and which none is of them crazy. get a lot of attention anymore. Right. So I don't know, but again, he's getting the kind of exercise, I guess every genre he wants to play in and every type of film he wants to work in. So I guess that's good. Yeah. And if it works out fine for HBO max, if it gives them a nice talent that they're getting comes kind of content piped in automatically to him every year. Uh, I guess that's a good thing. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> sure. But anyway, Kimmy, I think we're both on board saying, yes, we had a good time with it. It's a fun film, uh, entertaining film, and definitely, I, I say, worth a watch, especially if you're into any kind of thrillers, if you like some old-style Hitchcock-type films. Um, yeah, it's all, it's all worth a watch. So that's on HBO Max, streaming right now, available for you. That is Kimmy. All right, Chris, let's go ahead and move on to our second review, which is the film, the Apple, Apple TV Plus exclusive film, uh, The Sky is Everywhere. There were once two sisters. The older sister walked ahead of the younger one, so the younger one always knew where to go. How are you doing? Because your grandma and I have been a little worried about you. My sister is dead. There's no more music in me. No more dreams in me. I've lost the one person on Earth who understood me. How is school? Bad as expected. 
He's the new boy in Honor Band. Hey, you must be Lennon Walker. Toby stopped by. Go keep him company, make him feel welcome. He is not interested in talking to me. She was the love of his life. No one at school gets it. I don't think it's possible to get it. Unless you're in it, like we are. You believe in science from the beyond? I believe in everything. Because you... In the Sky is Everywhere, we have the story of a shy teenage musician who's trying to keep things together in her life in the aftermath of the death of her sister, who was older and a more outgoing uh, person in her life. This is a story uh, based on a book by Jenny Nelson. Jenny Nelson also wrote the screenplay for this film based on her book. And it's directed by Josephine Decker, who we, we actually reviewed her last film, Shirley, uh, just in the last year or so when it was released. Um, Chris, I went into this with absolutely no knowledge of this film. Okay. No knowledge of the book. Okay. I didn't even see the trailer. Okay. I didn't even read a write up or description about this. Film. You had no idea what you were getting into. You said, into. we're going to review the skies everywhere. <laughs> I said, okay. And I went to my <laughs> Apple TV. I did a search. Sky is everywhere. Boom. There it is. Hit play. Done. Got that's, you. That's all I have to work with on this. So my question for you is, what what should I like about this film? Wow, what should you? No, like? I really, I really want you to tell me what should I like about this film because I have my opinions. Sure, but I'd like to hear from you first. Like, what what is it? Uh, what what about this film works that maybe I'm missing? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so I'm imagining you are the father of three boys. Yes. So you probably do not watch a lot of young adult. Uh, novel adaptations no. that have like romance or nope. heartthrobs. You have probably never seen Fault in Our Stars. I did see Fault in okay, Our Stars. Okay, you have seen, good. Yeah. Well, that that's okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, which I like Fault in Our Stars. Um, there have been other ones that have similar type films I've not been as big mm-hmm. a fan of. Um, but, um, this, you know, it's, it's a genre, kind of like, you know, coming of age story from a female perspective, which there are mm-hmm. fewer of those. Um, but, you know, grappling with, you know, first love or being a nerd and then suddenly blossoming to where people mm-hmm. think this person's attractive. You know, there, there's just been dozens of these. Okay. So why I was interested in the film was because of who was directing it. You mentioned Josephine Director Decker being the director of Shirley. She'd also done a film called Madeline's Madeline prior mm-hmm. to Shirley. And she has a very unique kind of style. Like I could, even though this is not typically... <laughs> something that she would do this kind of subject material. Mm -hmm. She normally does things that have a little bit of a darker edge. Shirley definitely did. Madeline's Madeline definitely did, but she is interested in stories told from the female perspective. Mm -hmm. So basically Josephine Decker's take on trying to adapt a YA novel for the screen coming of age thing. That's what interested me. And the fact that you can, I don't think you could say that, this was your standard YA adaptation that mm-hmm. didn't swing for the fences mm-hmm. as far as what she tried to do with a lot of the visuals. Yeah. Now, did it overall work for you? Of course, you know, opinions may vary. And I will say, as the person who suggested the film, I thought in the first like 20 or 30 minutes, this was going to be like one of my films for the year. Mm-hmm. However, unfortunately, even though I still admired a lot of the cleverness that went on with the cinematography and how... Yeah just what she was trying to do to bring like a unique visual style to the film. I think the overall details of I'm guessing the screenplay and therefore the novel ended up kind of dragging it down a little bit because it was a little bit too wishy washy, which I understand, you know, people figuring out who they are as a young woman and trying to figure out who I love more. But as me, the 48 year old male (laughs) didn't really, you know, didn't really sync up that well. Well, so, but there were things I did in my like the visual style and how she was really trying to do something different. Yeah, I think I think the visual style that was introduced early on, yeah, did kind of have me intrigued. Um, it's like kind of if Tim Burton was adapting a young adult novel in a weird way. A little bit of that, which was surprising. I did not expect it starting the movie, which was a nice surprise. And I will say that I think, you know, Grace Kaufman as Lenny, the kind of the lead character, she's really good. She's a good young actress. And that's somebody I wasn't really familiar with. Yeah, so that was yeah. kind of nice to see some fresh faces. Yeah. So, 
but I, I think where I come down to this film is it, this is a film that's trying to do two different things. Okay. It's trying to be a commentary on grief and mm. dealing with grief. Right. And when it's dealing with that, I think it's okay. Okay. I think it does that well. And it, you know, interestingly, you're talking about the grief. Most films I feel like would have one source of grief, like, okay, her sister unexpectedly died. Okay. That's a source of grief. But you come to find out she's living with her grandmother and her uncle because Mm -hmm. her mother also has died kind of unexpectedly at a younger age. Yeah. So you have like, this girl's had to deal with it kind of twice. So that's, that's interesting thing where it's like a double whammy. I, I think when it's how she's dealing with the grief, it, it works when it is dealing with her, the romance. Yes. It doesn't. <laughs> okay. I think actually it's kind of painful uh, to watch the, 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 the plot and the, the machinations that go on with her, you know, there's two, two people involved. There's a little bit of a triangle going on that I felt like is, it's almost like I'm watching a completely different movie mm-hmm. that okay. I did not enjoy okay. because <laughs> A, it was, I, I think, just poorly written for the screen. It, it did not keep my attention. It seemed really monotonous and set repetitive and, mm. and just, you know, in, in the in the midst of I'm trying to understand or they, the film wants me to understand and appreciate the situation this girl finds herself in and having lost her, her best friend, her, her older sister, mm-hmm. everything she's dealing with. And then it just seems like it wants to flip a coin and say, oh, now but now you have to be really worried for her because she's in this love triangle with these two other people. And where's, how's she going to go? Where's it going to go type of thing? Right. And it's just, I don't, I did not care about any of that <laughs> because I felt like what you really wanted to get me invested in, her, her coming to terms with who she is now after losing such an important part of her life. Sure. Uh, I could care less about the romance side. Don't give me any of that. <laughs> And it doesn't help too that I, I, although I thought she was really good. Okay. The other younger actors, I don't think playing were very the two good, love interests. Okay. Were very good, and unfortunately, that really hurt the film because again, I, I had no interest in any of the scenes that involved that side of the story. So both Joe and Toby, you just thought were very well, especially Joe, okay. Jackie, uh, Jack uh, Coleman as Joe Fontaine. It didn't work. So I'm sorry. No offense to Jack. I just, uh, you know, it, it didn't work for both in his dialogue and both in his, his performance didn't work for the film. So it really, it really made it hard for me to appreciate this as a complete film. When there are moments I thought it was on the right path and doing some good things. And then it would just swerve and go down a whole different direction. And I didn't like the other direction, which started to consume more and more of the film as it mm. went on. Sure. And then there's an ending at, a uh, balloon, I'll just say, which I just, <laughs> was just grown worthy. It's just, it was a culmination of exactly what I did not want out of this I film. See. And it really had nothing to do with what did work about the film, you hmm. know, from the coping with grief standpoint. I, I don't know. It's frustrating for me. I can give some positives though. I got a few. Well, um, I'll, I'll say, um, I, I, I hear your frustrations. I think kind of getting into it, it it sounds like I'm a little higher on the film than okay. you are, but I, it still did frustrate me. And I will say the resolution of the love triangle, I thought was actually, that actually did surprise me. Kind of how they mm. resolved which person she ends up with and how the two love interests of Toby and Joe interact with one another. That ended up, <laughs> he's giving me the whatever look. <laughs> but that mm. I think it, it was a little less... Um, maybe stereotypical or it did surprise me a little. And I'll say uh, before I uh, challenge you, it sounds like you are going to come up with some positives, which I I think is good. Um, My big, I I really enjoyed seeing Jason Segel again. He's a big. Okay. (laughs) No, I will. I'm going to say, I think the quote adults in the film, um, Cherry Jones as Fiona, his, her grandmother, Mm -hmm. and then Jason Segel as uncle big or big. were both great. I really enjoyed them. I thought Cherry Jones was really great. She had a couple really great scenes late in the film, kind of a more emotional scene at one point. And they are both really good. They played the roles we needed them to play. And uh, again, they are there for the grief side. They gotcha. are there for the how how this young girl is going to find her place back in the world. The whole idea of her a musician and she kind of lost the ability to play. I'm like, yes, this right. is. I get this. This is good. This is what. 
I want to hear the story about how does she gain back that power? And it's like, I don't want to hear that she gains it back because of a boyfriend. You know, it's like, that's not, that's not the deal. So sure. don't, don't lead me down that path and spend gotcha. half the movie just talking about which guy she's going to choose. It's like, mm-hmm. that's not the story I'm here for mm-hmm. that you introduced to me on the front end. And even the visuals, those creative visuals just kind of started drifting away. Mm. And as you got into the romance, it's kind of like, okay, well, where'd they go? I mean, well, like you had a great setup on this and then it's just, they've kind of forgot about all that and said, no, let's just have a, let's just have a teen soap opera drama. That'll be a lot more fun to do. And it, and it just didn't work. So something I could appreciate, um, having seen Madeline's Madeline is there's some dance sequence and some musical numbers in that. Mm -hmm. And they play into making a commentary on the character, Madeline's kind of psyche and how well she's Mm -hmm. doing mentally and then you mix that with something like Shirley, where a lot of that movie is how Shirley is interpreting things. She, mm-hmm. based on the writer Shirley Jackson, kind of the dark, depressing kind of things she has going on. It was interesting to see kind of that combination come out in this film because there are some dance numbers, but there is also a sequence where you perceive things all like walking down the street, all kind of working out. People are harmonious. And then all of a sudden it snaps to reality yeah. and stuff's not that way. That was good. Um, and so some of that stuff, it was just really unique ways of doing it. But I, I can, I can see your point on how some of it kind of drifts off. There again, early on, I thought it all worked. And there's a scene, a kind of a choreographed dance sequence with the older sister, kind of in a flashback thing, which was really good. I'm like, at that point in the film, I'm still, <laughs> I got it. I'm, gotcha. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. This is This is working out pretty good. And then it just, kind of devolve from there. So uh, it was just, I guess it was more disappointing that they had a good setup. They had a good visual style in place and they just let the film devolve into a very generic young adult, you know, type story. I felt like, and it was disappointing gotcha. because uh, I thought there was a lot more to work with here and they just couldn't quite pull it off. So um, uh, looking to see other things positive. no, I think that was it. So you have two films from Josephine Decker under your belt. You have Shirley, you have the skies everywhere. She is kind of a newer director. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what do you have any interest in seeing what she's doing next? Or you think, sure. I mean, okay. yeah, I'm, 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 I think, I think she's a good talented director. Gotcha. I think this is, I don't know if the problem here for me was the source material and gotcha. trying to adapt it. I don't know how strictly this adhered to the, the book. Um, I just felt like the screenplay got, way too shifted in one direction and lost sight of what it was really trying to do. Mm -hmm. And I don't blame the director as much for that. Um, I think visually she did really great with the film. It was, and so I'm excited to see anything else she works on. I'm I'm intrigued, but this film is just not, uh, not a good fit for me. So fair enough. uh, Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also, uh, yeah, Apple TV exclusive. It's not going to get a huge audience, unfortunately, either. I mean, just Apple TV Plus movies just aren't yet. That may change in the future and probably will change in the future, but it's still not there yet. Um, so um, a, a very slight movie that I feel like just kind of lost its way and became more disappointing than than anything for me. So Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, I think this is the rare instance where I'm a little higher on a film, maybe. You are. Than you. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Sky is everywhere. I'm not able to recommend it for various reasons. But uh, but I would say if somebody you know, really loves the book and wants to see the film adaptation, I, I don't know how well it adheres to it. I assume since it's the same woman who wrote it, who wrote the screenplay, I got to assume it's, it's pretty consistent with it. So... Uh, maybe it's a worthwhile film to watch if you're a fan of the book and want to see an adaptation of it. So. Yeah. I mean, like if you are a fan of, you know, young adult adaptations, kind of like fault in our stars or something like that, then I can see you being like you being the target audience for this mm-hmm. film. You might really enjoy it. I thought it was okay. So. Yeah. Well, I am not the target audience. I've <laughs> come to realize. With sure. this, Neither so. am I, but I, I liked it a little better than I All think. All right. You. The Sky is Everywhere. That is available on Apple TV Plus, available right now for streaming for anybody who has a subscription to that service. Chris, why don't we take a quick, quick little break? We come back, we're going to do some movie news. Mainly, we're going to do talking about a couple new trailers for films that were released or trailers that were released for upcoming films. We want to give a little, uh, our little side commentary on each of those. I do want to hear your thoughts on the film Uncharted. Okay. We'll give you a couple minutes just to entertain us with your your thoughts on that film 
And then uh, we'll also uh, do some recommendations. We'll be back with Foot Candle Films here in just a moment. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the TV. We just finished in the first half of our show the reviews of the films Kimmy and The Sky is Everywhere. Uh, both of us very positive on Kimmy. Uh, Sky is Everywhere. Uh, not, <laughs> not as positive for me. Not so on much. the negative side, Chris is a little higher than I was, but still both of us, I think, came away with, uh, with some disappointments on it. But Chris is a little higher on the film in general. Now, Chris, we've talked about films that are already available now. Let's turn our attention here in the news section of our show to talk about a couple of films that will be coming out in the months to come, mainly through trailers. We, uh, we do find ourselves watching trailers for better or for worse and getting teased or excited possibly about upcoming films. We've got two that we wanted to bring up that were just released and talk a little bit about the films that they are promoting. Chris, I think you've got one you want to share with us first. Yes. So um, I bring to the trailer tapas section of the show uh, Men by Alex Garland, director Alex Garland, writer-director in this case, and it stars Jesse Buckley. Um, conveniently, seems like uh, Jesse Buckley's nomination for uh, Lost Daughter, Best Supporting Actress, her nomination for that came out, and then like the next day, <laughs> A24 released this trailer for Men, and it is a teaser trailer, which I tend to like teaser trailers better than full trailers because they tend to obviously just spoil less because they're only a teaser. But uh, yeah, so uh, teaser trailer, Men for Men by Alex Garland. And Alex Garland uh, directed? So he directed Ex Machina. All right. And mm-hmm. he also did um, uh, Annihilation. Is it Annihilation? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. it is. Yep. So he directed that. So he is more of your sci-fi type person and mm-hmm. i'm not really sure what's going on in this because it's just a teaser but it looks great <laughs> okay well here we're going to play uh, some of the teaser trailer for men So that was the teaser trailer for men. Apologize for everybody on audio because, you know, you heard the music, you heard some, some shouting, but you're probably kind of a little hard to say what was going on. Basically, from a visual standpoint, if you haven't seen the trailer, it's Jesse Buckley. We've got her uh, in, a, in a tunnel um, shouting and getting the echo that you heard constantly throughout the trailer. And just a lot of menacing shots of silhouetted gentlemen off in the distance that seemed to be tormenting her, but we don't know. So Chris, you said you're excited by this, by seeing the teaser trailer here. So yeah, it just, it's Alex Garland. What looks like doing kind of a thriller, maybe a horror movie. You don't really know what's going on. And just the title. Yeah. Men. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, is this woman just maybe agoraphobic and afraid of men? And like, you know, what, what's, what's going on? We don't really know, but the visuals um, just really look sharp. So I'm, I am curious. Yeah. No, I'm very excited too. Anxious to see where this one goes. If it's going to be a horror film, if it's going to be sci-fi, if it's going to be none of the above, it could be any direction. We don't know, but uh, yeah, it was a well-made teaser. So anxious to see that from Alex Garland. Uh, Do we have a release date for this? Um, It is. uh, No, I I don't know. I'm not aware of a release date. Uh, May 20th. May. Okay. Yeah. So. So coming up pretty soon here. That's good. Very nice. It's A24 release also, which is nice. We like A24. Okay. Yeah. So, Chris, that was Men by Alex Garland coming out May 20th. 
Let's uh, talk about another trailer. This is one I know you and I have both been watching or at least seen mm-hmm. and very, very curious where this is going to go. Uh, the film is Elvis and is by Boz Lerman. Boz Lerman, you may know from Moulin Rouge. Mm-hmm. Um, Romeo and Juliet. Oh, that's right. Romeo and Juliet. Forgot about that one. Um, ballroom Dancing. Well, I think, or Strictly Ballroom. Strictly Ballroom. Strictly <laughs> Ballroom was kind of one of his early films that got him on the map. He's made a few films since then, but I think Australia, one which Australia, Hugh he did, Jackman, he did the great Gatsby mm-hmm. with uh, DiCaprio. Yep. But I feel like there's something else he's done since then. that just didn't get a lot of attention. So, uh, kind of looking, I, I like Moulin Rouge. It's one of my favorite movies. I think I'd be happy to see Boz Lerman kind of rising back up to, you know, uh, not stardom, but just yeah, more uh, visible, uh, sure. uh, creating films that more people are seeing. So maybe this is the one, I don't know. I mean, it definitely is a subject matter is one that I think will get a lot of attention. It is a Elvis Presley biopic for lack of the better word. Um, but also featuring Tom Hanks as Colonel Tom Parker, who was the manager of Elvis and kind of quote discovered him and, and managed him for much of his career. So let's go ahead and watch the trailer for Elvis. There are some who'd make me out to be the villain of this here story. Let's don't let a good thing die. Are you born with destiny? Or does it just come knocking at your door? There's a young singer from Memphis, Tennessee. Give him a warm hayride welcome. Mr. Elvis Presley. Get a haircut, buttercup. So yes, Chris, there we have the trailer for Boz Lerman's Elvis. And we had dialogue that time. So it's yeah, be- so it should be a little easier for those watch, uh, listening to uh, follow along with it. Sure. Um, it's interesting to me. I mean, A, I think it's a great trailer. It does what a good trailer does in that uh, it's well cut together. I mean, I think the use of music, obviously, it being a biopic about a musician, it's easy to have a lot of music to pull from to make a trailer out of. Um, it looked very kinetic. I mean, just a lot of energy, a lot of, uh, again, that could be the trailer. But but knowing Boz Lerman and knowing his style, yes, I very well could see the film matching this. Uh, looks interesting in that it's seems to be covering Elvis's entire life. Which that for us, usually on this show, we usually talk about sometimes when you don't pick a specific period of time, that's kind of a warning flag because so many biopics do the whole entire life that it kind of can get bogged down. Could be. So if it wasn't Boz Lerman directing it, (laughs) I would be concerned, but I also think this film seems to be, seems to be from the trailer anyway, interested in showing his evolution, how he's, how he evolved, but also maybe felt like he got away from himself over time too, which I think you know, you need that kind of full life to show that. Um, a couple of interesting notes, um, King in about, and there's a part in the trailer where we see that it's going to spend some time, at least somewhat in the film with him as a child. Yes. And kind of being influenced by, uh, the church. Right. And it, it kind of the, uh, Dancing and, and and being a part of that church environment really kind of created his movements, you know, mm-hmm. which that's an interesting take on that to kind of see if that's really was kind of more of the impetus of his gyrations and movements on stage. And the film also seems to be very focused on those movements. A lot of the d- trailers like, hey, yes, they're going to get upset with me because of the way I move. And you see a lot of shots of <laughs> his crotch and other things moving. So, right. I mean, the film seems to be taking a very specific focus on him and where he developed this persona on stage and right. the movement behind it. All in all, I'm really intrigued. Um, I'm a little curious, Tom Hanks as Colonel Tom Parker. I don't know enough about Colonel Tom Parker to know. Did he talk like that? Is that, <laughs> is, is that a choice that's being made a creative choice or is that factual? I don't know. But, um, 
Interesting. Yeah, I think it's interesting because basically you're going to have, well, from what we can tell from the trailer, you have two key figures. Obviously, you have Elvis played by Austin Butler, and then you have Colonel Parker played by Tom Hanks. Now, if you were to ask me, I'm not familiar with Austin Butler at all. If you were to ask me right out of the gate, oh, okay, which person do you feel like is going to have to prove themselves to you in this movie? Well, obviously, I'd say well, I know who Tom Hanks is. So Austin Butler is the one that's going to have to prove my prove himself to me. But just in this trailer, that opening narration from Tom Hanks just seems to be a little, which, you know, it's Baz Luhrmann. So over the top is kind of his trademark, but it seems to automatically be a little too over the top mustache twirling evil genius person, kind of like he did in the Coen brothers film, which I've already forgotten the name of uh, the it. lady killers. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Lady killers where he plays kind of a, you know, he plays kind of a bad guy in that. It seems like he's copied and pasted that character here with the accent and just the over the top. However, over the teaser trailer, it does kind of minimize a little bit. So when he's just talking normally with Elvis, it doesn't seem to be as heightened. So mm-hmm. maybe it'll be okay. Now, conversely, Austin Butler you know, I'm like, who is this dude that is such a huge role to have to do? And they show him kind of being nervous or whatever, you know, in the trailer. And then all of a sudden he just belts out the first notes of a song and your first word. And you're like, well, nope, I think, I think the dude's going to be able to do it. (laughs) Well, and I will say this guy, um, you know, not a household name and not maybe familiar to a lot of people, but the last two films he did, he was in once upon a time in Hollywood. He was, oh. he was Tex Watson oh, in that yeah. film. Okay. And okay. then he was also in Jim Jarmusch's The Dead Don't Die. Oh, So that was the last two films he was in, which were uh, Tarantino and Jarmusch. So he's, 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 he's the been kid's in, got the chops. He's been in a couple of, you <laughs> okay. know, higher pro. Well, Dead Don't Die wasn't really a high profile film, but Jim Jarmusch kind of a well-regarded director. So gotcha. He has been in a couple of interesting projects. Um, of course, before that, he was in the Kevin Smith movie Yoga Hosers. Oh, well, I'm not familiar with that. But <laughs> let's just focus on Dead sure. Don't Die and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Fair enough. So yeah, no, I think he, he's going to be interesting to watch in this. So I'm I'm legitimately excited for this film. I, I am too. I think it was, I put a list on Letterboxd of like my top 10 anticipated films for 2022. And I think this one made it, made it on that list just because like you say, if we're going to, we're never going to get away from biopics because they're often very successful and usually they get Oscar nominations. If we're going to have biopics, Baz Luhrmann's somebody like, yeah, I'd like to see him do yes, the take. I'd like to see this happen. <laughs> and we know he does really well with music oriented right. work, um, a lot of energy. And I think this is, this seems to have that. So no, I'm very excited. That is uh, June 24th okay. coming out in North, North America. So we've got May for men. We've got June for Elvis. And of course, March for the Batman. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's we not forget. Can't forget that. All right, Chris. So, uh, before we move on to recommendations, sure. I do just want to ask you, um, because sometimes we don't choose to review films on, on the show collectively. We, we have different films we pick and choose that you and I want to watch together or not together, but watch at the same time and then review. Right. And uh, one film that didn't really come up in our list of ones to review was the film Uncharted. That mm-hmm. is the new Tom Holland, also with Mark Wahlberg action adventure movie based on a video game called uncharted. Um, Tom Holland's obviously riding a big high after the Spider-Man movie that came out in December. Uh, you ended up seeing uncharted. I did. And I'm going to give you just a couple minutes. Sure. Tell me, tell me the deal with this movie. Is this something you can recommend or do you prefer that we, I do like I have been doing and stay away. <laughs> so in a shock to no one, you just heard Alan read kind of the synopsis about what this movie is, you know, how it came to be. If that doesn't sound like your cup of tea, then guess what? Probably not for you. And, you know, you hearing, if you've been listening to our show for a while, you can probably guess my opinion of this movie. We didn't choose to do a, a full review of it. There you go. Um, yeah, it just doesn't, it doesn't really work. I, mm-hmm. I think, you know, if you video game logic is video game logic. And when I go to see a movie, I want to see movie logic, I guess. And, you know, the opening scene is him, you know, trying to jump between containers that are falling out of a plane. Mm-hmm. And right away, rules of gravity just fly out the window as well as he's flown out a window. And it just doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense. And you're not supposed to be concerned with that. 
And if you want like a big action blockbuster film where you just have a bunch of action set pieces, then yeah, this is for you. It's definitely a turn your brain off type movie. Um, I saw it with my son, who's a big fan of the video games. He liked the movie. My wife, who knew nothing about the video games, but just wanted a turn your brain off type movie, she actually really liked it. <laughs> so, okay. right. um, but for me, you know, crotchety old movie critic, it just, it was trying to do too much. Mm-hmm. Um, you were trying to do kind of a hybrid of Indiana Jones, which is, you know, the main character, Nathan Drake, who's played by um, Tom Holland. He is, they're trying to make him kind of a younger Indiana Jones type person, but in modern day. So he's kind of a treasure hunter seeker in modern day, but it just doesn't, it doesn't really work overall because they're trying to do the Indiana Jones thing yet, but in a modern day and also make it kind of a, a too much of a comedy at times. And that's where the relationship between Sully played by Mark Wahlberg and the Tom Holland interactions kind of go. And it's like, they never really know whether they just want to make an action comedy or they just want to strictly make an action film. Mm. And the thing is, as this has been marketed, a lot of people will you know, kind of throw this out there. It's a hybrid between something like Pirates of the Caribbean and Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem is both of those, at least the first version, you know, the first original Pirates of the Caribbean and the Indiana Jones movie, like, you know, those are, those are pretty high watermarks. Mm-hmm. And so when something like this, that's just adapted from a video game falls short to me, it falls really short. So yeah, not that, and I, you know, Tom Holland, he's still, you know, he still knows his role and he does a decent job. It was more just of the script and the overall plot for me fell short and I wanted something a little more. Well, and I think it's important to know, I mean, I, I personally, you know, I, I, I know people kind of disparage video game adaptation. I think you can make a good video game adaptation movie. I'm, I'm not concerned about that just because something's based on a video game. doesn't mean there's not a good source material to build a good movie. You can build a good movie off of anything. Well, and here's you the know, thing. Here's the thing. And I agree. I think it is possible. And hearing like that, this is kind of an Indiana Jones based video game or something. It seems like, yeah, I could see how you can make a good movie. But for me, unfortunately, this follows up on mortal Kombat from last year that I also mm-hmm. saw because of my son. Like it just hasn't been done satisfactorily for me yet. I think it is possible. So I'm not knocking like, Oh, you can't make a movie from a video game. I just feel like it hasn't been done. successfully. I just wonder if the problem with video game adaptations is a, maybe we don't get the best talented uh, people to direct it or work on it because they, they think there's a stigma with, Oh, I don't want to do a video game adaptation or B they're too slovenly, uh, trying to match the video game experience so much to please those fans that they're forgetting how to make it just a good movie on its own. And I think that could be it. I think that's why, you know, we talked about uh, the skies everywhere. You and I not really falling in the target market for it. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas for this, you know, neither one of us have played this video game. Um, So right off the bat, maybe this isn't that, you know, we can't say it's a good movie, but if you're a fan of, this video game, then yeah, you'll probably like it. So I think Mm -hmm. that's the thing. Cause I think there were a lot of times where things were just flying right over my head because I wasn't familiar with the source material. But Mm. as we've stated before on the show with a good film, you shouldn't have to be familiar with the source. You shouldn't have to do homework beforehand to be familiar with it, to enjoy a a really good, well-made film. So, well, thank you for taking one for the team (laughs) and going to see the film. And uh, yeah, it sounds like you were down on it. I mean, it's not, you're not saying it's a horrible film. It's just not as satisfying as the, you would want from a more film critical standpoint. And, you know, some attempts at humor did work. I will say there were some funny moments that did work for me. Okay. Um, what is really strange is I would be interested to see whether the director, who is Ruben Fleischer, who his track record for me is not stellar. He's had involvement with the Venom movies. So yeah. not really, you know, the biggest fan of those. Um, whether he or the screenplay people had an affinity for cocktail because out of nowhere, Tom Holland kind of channels Tom Cruise in cocktail, which was very distracting for me. (laughs) So if you're a fan of cocktail, you might find some of that very amusing. So I'll just, Oh, well now you just leave that there. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, cocktail boy. That was a a movie from a certain time. Wasn't it? Yes. Okay, Chris. Well, thank you for that quick review of uncharted. Um, and that ends our news section. So let's move on to kind of our final portion of the show where 
Chris and I both give a recommendation, a film recommendation we think is worth checking out that we either recently just caught up with ourselves or maybe uh, recalled and we just wanted to share with you as a recommendation for something you can watch online, streaming from the comfort of your own home as you wish. Um, Chris, you, you, you talked for a little bit there. I'm gonna give you a moment and break. Okay. So I'll, I'll do my recommendation first. Um, and my recommendation is a, it, it, it's a tepid recommendation, but I think it will fit the bill for, for some people out there that are looking for this kind of film. You know, the whole documentary based, uh, kind of true crime documentaries have, have really accelerated in the last several years, especially with Netflix and other services, just hungry for a lot of content they can put on their service. We've gotten a lot more documentaries that, and people are obsessed with true crime podcasts and true crime shows. And now we've got true crime pod, uh, documentaries. So the one I'm going to recommend is fits cleanly into that genre. It is the film Misha and the Wolves from just last year, 2021. It is on Netflix right now, directed by Sam Hope, Hope, Hopkinson. And it tells a story, of course, a real story of a woman's Holocaust memoir that takes the world by storm. We have an author who wrote a memoir about her time as a young girl during the Holocaust. Uh, becomes a big sensation. I mean, it sold millions of copies. It's Oprah talks about it in her book club show. Um, it's used in schools across the nation as a, as a learning tool. But then there's a fallout with her publisher, uh, who turns into a detective to reveal their story, um, to reveal some darker truths behind what's going on. Um, the movie, unfortunately, even in the little teaser, I think on Netflix, when you queue it up, even talks about, Oh, there's a, and this is where the movie, this is where the story turns and this is where there's a twist or whatever, which I wish they wouldn't do that. I mean, it kind of sets you up to automatically watch this film looking for whatever that twist is going to be. Sure. And I will say the twist, knowing that going into it and kind of getting teased that there is a twist. Yeah. I spotted it 10 minutes in and it, but that's not the reason to watch this documentary. I mean, the documentary is an interesting story. It is an interesting situation. Um, uh, and it's an extremely well-made documentary. I'll say okay. from a production standpoint, looks good. The interviews are well done. There is an interesting little, I don't want to say it's a trick, but there is an interesting little uh, premise they set up with the making of the documentary. It kind of gives a little bit of a meta feel at some point in the film that I did appreciate. Um, the film, the documentary is not quite as in depth as I would like for it to been. I mean, the story kind of left me with still some questions at the end about kind of how things were resolved hmm. with what they just led up. But I will say from a, from a documentary standpoint, it's extremely well made. I thought looks great. Sounds great. Um, had a very interesting story to tell. There are some interesting people that they were able to interview to, to comment on the story. Um, so I liked it. I did like it. Misha and the Wolves, I think, is a good documentary. It could have been more, could have been better, but it's enough for me to give it a recommendation to say if you are interested in kind of true crime stories or just documentaries of real life criminal situations and films that kind of lead you down a path where you don't know where it's going to end and you're kind of waiting to see what revelations you learn along the way, this is a good one for that. So, Chris, I believe you've seen this as well, too. You're, yeah, you and you watched it on Netflix. Is I that did, correct? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, I did get a chance to see it when it was kind of doing the festival circuit. I called it at uh, the River Run Film Festival. And I thought it was. I thought it was interesting. So. Yeah, interesting story. I will give it that. So, uh, could could have been a little more. Could have been a little gone a little further with it, but uh, it still worked. And uh, it was recommended by my wife actually was the one who kind of recommended I see it. She's a big fan of the film. So I know there are people out there really kind of appreciate it. I liked it enough to give it a recommendation. So Misha and the Wolves, I think is worth a watch. If you're into documentaries and looking for something to watch that is on Netflix. So Chris, what's your recommendation for us? So I'm, as it turns out, also going to recommend something that's on uh, Netflix and it is a new film, so it just got released in 2022, and I think it came straight to Netflix. So um, it's three three stories that all use a house as its central thing, and the movie is called The wow. House. Yeah. And it's told in three different um, stories. It has a couple of different directors who I think basically different directors for each segment. And what made this kind of jump out at me is it is stop motion. So think of films like 
Coraline or Fantastic Mr. Fox, specifically, you know, using of use of animals, you would think of Fantastic Mr. Fox. This is not for children, however. Uh, um, it is more, you know, more adult because there's some dark, dark themes running through. But um, it's told across different er- eras. There's a poor family, an anxious developer, and a fed up landlady that all are in some way tied to this mysterious house. Hmm. Um, so I, I found it interesting. And it's, you know, because it is broken into three, you know, selections, there are some portions that I cared for more than others. Um, but all were very visually interesting. It, as a matter of fact, the very first story, the part one that's told, that was the one that really like drew me in. And then the others were still okay. But that very first one I just thought was really hmm. well crafted. So, um, if you like stop motion or looking just for something a little different and you're a Netflix subscriber, I would uh, suggest the house. Okay. Now, I've heard some good things about it. Heard okay. some reviews about it as well. So glad to hear you checked it out and are giving it a recommendation as well. So two options for you on Netflix. One is Misha and the wolves for a documentary. And then you've got the house kind of an anthology series of stories, all with stop motion animation. So great. All right. Well, that is our recommendations for the episode. And that is the end of our episode in total. So recap, we are both very high on Kimmy. We both gave positive review for that HBO Max review a film by Steven Soderbergh. A uh, little more mixed, definitely me more negative. Chris, a little more positive on the sky is everywhere, which you can find on Apple TV plus. We have great trailers for men and Elvis that are going to be coming out in the next several months. And then we also got to hear Chris talk about Uncharted. Um, <laughs> appreciate that. And our recommendations, Misha and the Wolves and the House. All right, Chris, if anybody's got any feedback for us, comments, questions, ideas, or their own suggestions of films we ought to be recommending in the future, how can they get a hold of us? You can send an email to info at footcandle.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. As I mentioned a couple of times, we, Al and I, are also both on Letterboxd, where you can track what we're seeing, and sometimes we leave short reviews. Um, consider, if you're listening to this podcast, which you are, if you hear my voice, giving us a star rating, write a review, or share with friends in whatever service you're using to receive your favorite podcast. It'll help us reach new listeners, and we'd appreciate it. Last but not least, keep in mind, Foot Candle Film Festival is open for submissions for our 2022 festival, which will be held September 21st through the 25th. So if you're a filmmaker, consider submitting. If you are a lover of films, consider attending. Okay, that's it. Well, thank you so much, everybody, for listening, being a part of the show today. And we will look forward to talking to everybody next time we get together. Take care. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.